Hello and welcome to the Far Post podcast. Uh, I'm Angela Christian Wilkes. As you may have noticed, we do not have Marissa Lodanik hosting in her dulcet tones this week, but you've got the fourth best thing, possibly more self. Um, I'm joined today by Anna Harrington and Samantha Lewis, and we are going to do a quick fire reaction debrief of the A-League women's grand final. 15th season. It felt it was different. For, for reasons that we'll get into off the pitch. But um, we saw Western United make their debut in their first season in the dub at the grand final. But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you are, they lost 4-0, got an absolute drubbing from Sydney FC. Uh, two goals from Madison Haley, Princess Abini scored, Nat Tobin scored. Uh, yeah, it was quite a performance from the Sky Blues and... We will definitely be getting into that. Before we get stuck into the good stuff, um, did want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we are um, on which we are recording and working on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people. Um, yeah. Okay. So Sydney FC, they finally bloody did it. They got the double. I don't know how you guys are feeling. I know Sam's probably just like off her head with happiness right now. I think it was um, relief. I think she's relieved more than anything. I, there were some squeals coming out of that press box. There were a Angela. lot of squeals. There, there was a lot, a lot of, of like nervous, like sighs. And, <gasps> yep. Yeah. And like, oh <laughs> <laughs> be like that. That's pretty much Sam. So that's why we couldn't do the pod from the ground because she's a bit incoherent. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and, and that wasn't even the football. Hey. <laughs> hey um, uh, we were both at the game. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is cute. Did you guys have like, did you have drinks without me? Yeah, we did. Yeah, you But you were with us me? in spirit, Angela. You were with us in What did you say about me? No, joke. <laughs> we're here to talk about what the game. What didn't we Not say? <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess a very comprehensive win from Sydney. But what did you guys take from this game? What were the vibes? How did it? Yeah, I guess, Sam, I feel like we have to go to yeah. you. Oh, Anna, do you want to get in first before Sam? I'll I'll just preface this by saying that I'm not going to subject you all to more singing, to more chanting like I did in the episode after we won the premiership. I'm not going to do that to your lovely blessed ears this time. I'm not going to be screaming. I I, I like this game was so amazing and it was amazing for like a lot of different kinds of reasons. It was amazing in, in a, for a football reason. It was amazing for a narrative reason, it was amazing for sort of the larger vibe of the dub kind of reason as well. Like the the two weeks leading into this game, there was a really palpable sense of, oh, my God, Sydney are going to drop the ball again. They're going to get to the grand final and they're going to throw it to the wind. And and when they've been given the home phone final effect, when they've been given the home final, thinks they exactly. didn't deserve, right? Yeah, they exactly. Added that extra element of um, punch to it all. So there was all there was so much pressure, sort of piling up and up on on this group of players and on Ante Juric. There, you know, they that this was their fourth, fifth, fifth grand final in a row. I'm pretty sure that. This was their sixth grand final in a and row. They only won one before that, and they'd only five. won one exactly. So th- th- it just felt like there was some kind of curse on them, and I was so nervous in the build-up to it that it was it was going to be the same old story that we've seen for the past couple of grand finals, where they play 
really, really good football. They play comprehensive, um, choreographed, dominant football. But just like we saw in that semifinal loss to Western, just like we almost saw in that preliminary final against Melbourne victory, they just weren't able to finish the job. They weren't able to capitalise on their chances. They just... There, there was just one level that they could not get to. I was really worried that that was going to happen. And I remember talking to Nat Tobin at the launch of the grand final on Friday. And the thing that I said to her when she was leaving was, I hope you play the game that you've always wanted to play in a final. And she said, that's really nice. Actually, that's I, that's exactly how I feel. I want us to be able to play the way that we have wanted to play for the last couple of times that we've been here. And they did. They did. It was such a good performance from Sydney. It was it was everything that you would expect from them. And the fact that they got that really early goal, I think, was it almost like gave you a sense of like, this is happening. Like when Madison Haley scored that header in the fourth minute, I I there was something like my spirit sort of left my body and I was like this is actually this is different now this has a different kind of feeling to it this game and they just continued to to turn the cogs they continued to score goals they continued to move the ball Western United I think came back into it in in patches but it just it felt like it just felt like destiny that Sydney were were going to win this finally after all this time you know they they'd have so many cracks at it um, but now with this team, with this group of players who've been together for such a long time, who've been playing the way that they've been playing, who'd won back-to-back-to-back premierships, they 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 did this for themselves. You know, they finally played the game that they've always wanted to play. And that's why I'm just so thrilled for them. And I'm so thrilled for Ante Juric as well, because this group of players really is his brainchild. This is the this was his project. This is his family. And to see how emotional he got after the game. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's, yeah, it was incredibly validating and it's, it just feels like the perfect ending for this narrative. Yeah. They needed to end the narrative and aren't yeah. I've been very clear. I'm not talking about um, hoodoos and curses and all that. And he talked even after the game, he said he was happy for these players and that they deserved it, but he didn't want to really delve into the past too much. Just fair enough. Um, yeah. Sydney play it to perfection there, you know, you get the great advantage of, it is almost an advantage of losing to United two weeks earlier. Um, And they knew that they let themselves down in that physical battle and they just came out and went hard from the beginning. It was such a physical game, like toe to toe, um, Courtney Vine um, and Alana, Alana Chan were the main two that just kept getting cleaned up over and over and just going. Um, but yeah, it was all Madison Haley was the difference, and you know she wasn't there in that first final, if I remember correctly. She came back against Victory, scored that that winning goal, and she was unstoppable. Um, she's such a smart player, her positioning so good. Um, she's obviously a great athlete as well, but in terms of knowing exactly where a striker needed to be, in terms of providing that presence um, at at the back post on both of those opening two goals, she was sensational and. Um, Western really didn't have any answers for her. Uh, she deserved player of the match. Um, and I think really rounded it out nicely when she she powered home that second goal for herself right at the end. Um, yeah, she was fantastic. But um, they got a lot right, Sydney. They're, Nat Tobin and Charlotte McLean kept Hannah Keane pretty quiet. She sort of worked her way into the game after half time, 
and had a couple of good chances, but they looked rockish in defence. Um, Hawksby and Lowe in midfield and, and Hunter as well. They were really accomplished. Um, and, yeah, it was it was just dominance. They, they weren't going to let themselves be bullied. Ante said as much, um, and they were the ones that really got in the faces of Western and, and made them earn it a bit, to be honest. Um, they they didn't leave anything out there in terms of physicality, and that was that was huge for them. But yeah, it it felt I don't know. I f- felt the moment they got past Melbourne victory, I felt like Sydney FC were going to win, and that's no slight on Western, who um, obviously missing key personnel. Lagarde missed a lot of football in particular, but Angie Beard they really missed. She did such a good job on Courtney Vine last time, and it's not even just the Courtney Vine effect; it's the having to dropped TJ Vlanich. They didn't get a heap out of Danielle Steer in attack and Vlanich got burned for pace quite a few times for Vine before she picked up that knock and was a little little bit more conservative, but not heaps more conservative, not as quick maybe. But yeah, they were, they were fantastic. I, I thought a great moment, um, well, or two, Nat Tobin's scoring was fantastic. And she said after the match that she didn't really sort of process that she'd actually scored other than the ball had gone in the out. back of the net. Um, but what I loved even more was um, Princess Abini, um clearly knowing that that penalty she won and it was a pretty line ball one, but um, you know, it is what it is. Some rest would pay it, some wouldn't, but when she won that pen, she knew the significance of it, knew that it would effectively kill the game, yep. put it into that bottom corner and then ran and celebrated with the cove, jumped so over the good. barricades, threw herself into that crowd. And yeah, it's really rewarding. She's the only player left from the last time they won the championship. If I remember correctly, Tobin was injured. Mm. Um, but and she also spoke about how important this was and also doing the double, which is something this group hadn't done before. Um, what I really loved from the Sydney players was how much they really went into bat for Ante as well. Um, I think it was um, Hawksby and Dobin were like, I don't think he's got coach of the month once. Yeah. It's going to be an issue if he doesn't get coach of the year. Um <laughs> And I, I can just and they see probably it. look I, like they would fight people. Oh, as well. <laughs> I can I can just see it as well that Mark Torcaso, for example, who did a fantastic job with Weston in his first year, could easily win Coach of the Year. I think if you win the double, you probably get yourself above anyone, even above those those heroics from Weston in their first season. But if if Ante doesn't, uh, it could get a bit feral. Feral <laughs> in City. A few of these girls are like absolutely ready to go. Um, the other thing that I think is important, and Sam, you talked about the the transition and how this this team's been built. I love that Hawksby used the word nobodies to describe her yeah. and Courtney Vine and that because that's a bit harsh in themselves, but she said that they were basically a group of nobodies who Ante spotted the potential in and pulled together as a unit and turned into a really solid team that has gone and gone again. And they've set this incredible record of in terms of consistency and keeping players. This feels like the off-season where it's probably going to catch up to them. And that's not a bad thing. It's an endorsement yeah. of the talent that they've been able to foster and bring through and nurture and help. And Ante probably said it better than anyone. They're going to, he expects them to lose two to four players, four being that's all. And he said they're all key players. The one that comes to everyone's mind is, of course, Courtney Vine, um, who I know loves Sydney FC. A lot of these players love Sydney FC. They all talk about how much fun they have, how much they enjoy training. Nat Tobin said since Ante took charge, the first time she actually enjoyed training rather than seeing it as the, I guess, the chore she had to do to get mm. to play the games on the weekend. But I think Ante said it best that, especially with players like Courtney Vine, you want them to make a move. And if it's a move, make a good move, not go to, say, a lower 
European club with not maybe not great facilities or a great um, pathway, if she gets a big move and it's a, the right one for her, then you've got to take it. Effectively, they'd love to keep these players, but at the same time, when we all watch Sam Kerr, for example, play in 2019, and the player she is in 2023, having spent nearly four years at Chelsea compared to 2019, yeah. and she was already like up there in terms of great players in the world, but she has just gone to another level. And I think what Ante very much realises as someone who clearly loves these players, wants to develop them to the best players they can be, that it may well be a reality of the job that he's going to lose some of these guns because they need to test themselves but they need to test themselves in the right environment. It doesn't mean that they're going to go and be in Europe next weekend or anything like that. Some of them, it may well be a post-World Cup move, but it's going to be a really interesting one to see how Sydney handle this change because a lot of these players want to be there, but if the perfect move comes up for you to advance your career overseas, if you're a, a Mackenzie Hawksby um, or a, uh, obviously a Courtney Vine or any of the other players, Maddie, Maddie Haley may well get an NWSL contract off the back of the way she's played this season, you can't hold them back. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting off-season, I think, for Sydney to decide what they're going to do and how they're going to handle this. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And I think the thing that gives me a lot of faith in Sydney FC coming into a moment like this is that they've done it before. We saw when they had a huge swathe of Matildas and international players Coincidentally, the last time they won the championship back in 2017-18, I think it was, uh, you know, they had they had Chloe Legazzo, Caitlin Ford, Alana Kennedy. Um, they had, I think, four Americans as well on their books. And Ante, I remember speaking to Ante sort of around the time and him saying that he sort of predicted that a lot of these big players would head off overseas. He saw the machinations happening elsewhere. He saw these leagues starting to blossom in Europe. And he knew that these were national team players who needed full-time opportunities. He knew that they were going to leave. And so having that foresight allowed him to be able to bring through the players who we're now seeing on the field. Players like, I know she's not there at the moment, but like a Taylor Ray, players like a Nat Tobin and a, and a Charlotte McLean, players like a Princess Abini and a Courtney Vine, being able to go and have the the depth of knowledge about the women's football landscape to find these bits and pieces of players and to bring them together into this one machine uh, and having a, a long-term plan to be able to do that. That's what gives me faith that they're going to be able to navigate whatever this next period holds for them. If they do lose some of their big name players, I already feel like they're going to, they're going to have the, the players to be able to step in and replace them, which is a very different kind of situation to what Melbourne City went through. And we've spoken about this before, after they lost basically all of their starting players, they didn't have uh, a succession plan in place. They didn't have the players who had been train-ons, who had been on, on the periphery, who'd been in the squad season after season, building themselves, developing and and being becoming more familiar with the style and the system that the club liked to play in order to step in and make that gap much smaller in terms of the um, the absence of or the departure of players. So yeah, um, and that's and like considering what this Sydney team has become in the absence of those huge names. Like Ante said it himself after the game that this is the best team that he thinks he has ever seen in the, the A League Women's. And while obviously he's very biased when he says that you have to kind of agree because outside of teams that were absolutely chock-a-block with national team players, this is a team with just one, Courtney Vine, 
right? And oh, aside from you that, you could say Princess Albania, I think, but it's and the, sort of Princess the premise Albania. is there. The premise is there. These are all the homegrown players, right? Exactly. In terms of their consistency, I think was what he really wanted to clarify. Like they, what they just go and defend the premiership time and time again. Like they don't drop off. Yeah, they probably couldn't go one out against, as you say, those stacked Melbourne City teams. But the their ability to just compete and be the best year in, year out. And like this year was harder. It was a longer season. They came from behind against Western in the Premier's Plate race. And yeah. Just like clicked into gear. It was awesome. Like they deserve so much credit for what they've done. I agree with you, Sam. I I, I think it will be a big loss if they lose players, especially oh, Hawksby or um, yeah. Vine or McLean or, you know, some of those real sort of key The back players. players. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say spine because uh, Vine's obviously a, a wide player, but you lose some of those players. It, geez, it's tough. Mm. But They've got a lot of talent. And when you mentioned Taylor Ray, who's, you know, waiting in the wings to get back in there, we saw um, Holman come off the bench a fair bit, um, Dos Santos times two. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of talent. Like, there's tons. Um, and you, you just have so much. Fa- and Ante, the big thing for them is Ante's committed to stay for at least two more years. Yeah. And that sort of stability and knowing that that sort of culture and environment's going to be there, I reckon is just huge. Like, I was... I was I was really happy for those players. Um, when you saw Mackenzie Hawksby talk about, and there's the reality of the Australian football system that, or Australian sports, that premierships are fantastic, but people really do judge you on your grand final wins. Mm. And she'd never had one before. She'd been in three defeats. Um, you could tell how much it meant. She was just like, I just really wanted to win a grand final with Sydney FC. because She was heartbroken last year. And Nat Tobin was almost inconsolable last year. I think they... Mm. Like they're a really good group of not just players but people, and they've yeah. stuck it out. And yeah, it's, it was a really nice way for them to to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that they did it as well, like they have played, I think, inarguably the best football of any team in the league consistently, as you said, Harrow, consistently over the course of this season, over last season, and even the season before, they have played the best football. It's beautiful football. It's clockwork football. It's football that you wish that you could play. Like I watch this team and I want to be in that system. I want to have the kind of the the sixth sense that the players seem to have working together and just how smoothly they all operate. They just, they seem to read each other's minds and, you know, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. And, you know, in, in that, context you can understand why western united came out with the kind of game plan that they had in the semi-final as well which is that when you've got a team who loves to be in possession who loves to move the ball smoothly who works in these really specific particular kinds of patterns the best way perhaps to um to get a result against a team like that and melbourne victory have shown this in the past as well is to cause chaos in the system is to rattle them, is to body them off the ball, is to be really physical, to have that fight, to 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 shake them out of themselves in some ways. And we saw that happen in that semi-final. Um, but I think Sydney learned from that. And we kind of predicted it as well. I remember speaking to a lot of people um in the build-up to this grand final who asked me what my prediction was. And I said to them, you know, I I think Sydney will sweep this because Weston can't do to Sydney what they did in that semi-final again 
I think Sydney are too smart for that. And I think they're going to be able to, to not, not, not only match it physically, but also be able to find ways of exploiting it in other kinds of footballing ways. And they did. They, as you mentioned before, Harry, like they were just as muscly. They were just as aggressive. They, they, they did to Western United what Western United did to them a couple of weeks ago, but with the addition of playing much better football around them. And that's what I think is so impressive about this team is how quickly they can learn from games like that. And we saw that throughout the season as well. When they would lose a game, you saw them bounce back almost immediately in the next round to, to, to answer the questions that were asked of them the previous week. And considering, again, that this is a team with an average age of 21, like <laughs> it's it's just like I'm I'm speechless when it comes to trying to describe how extraordinary a an achievement it is to have a team that's been getting progressively younger over the seasons and yet playing better and better football and now they've won the double and I think they would they probably stand alone in terms of having the youngest ever team to win the premiership championship double in the history of the competition um, and yeah, like it's, it's just, they, for me, they, they completely epitomize what this league should be about, which is providing opportunities for homegrown young players to be able to come into a high performance environment, to be part of this culture, to be part of a winning culture. And as we've seen with a Hawksby, with a Hunter, with a McLean, some of these players come from like, they come from nowhere. They come from division two MPL but they have something and to be shown by a head coach that they believe in you and that you have something that you can foster something that you can nourish. And even if it takes a couple of seasons, they have that long-term faith in you that you're able to do it. And we, this is the, this is the exact result of that faith, which is what I just adore. I think it's worth talking about Western um, because as much as scoreline wise, they were belted. They were, they were in that game. Just before halftime, Jada Wyman made three big saves in the space of five minutes to deny, I think, uh, Cummings, uh, Keenan Taranto, I want to say, but the Taranto one was really impressive when she came out and blocked it. Um, that was massive, a 2-0. Um, it could have easily been 2-1. I know Western had some chances early. Um, they got done on set pieces, which is really rare for them. Mark Torcaso said as much. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the most interesting thing, to come from them is going to be how they go again next year. And I asked um, Mark about this after the match, and he, you know, because you, you don't want to be a flash in the pan, right? You don't want to be the team that surprised everyone first year and then come crashing down. They got at least 13 players signed up for next season, which is really positive. Um, I would love to see him get Jess McDonald back. Uh, talks was pretty, op- you know, not optimistic, but said, Oh, we'd love to get her back. Or if not her, someone of her ilk. And, I would love to see that if they can bring in some more star quality, if they can get a full season out of Chloe Legasso, you feel like they can maybe create something again. Uh, um, I do feel for them um, in the sense that they won a home grand final under the old rules, at least, and had to come up here as, you know, you don't get to sleep in your own bed. It was clearly a pro Sydney crowd. Like um, there was a nine and a half thousand there, which is a, a league record, um, a league women grand final or W league grand final record. It was great atmosphere in that sense. You had the full sort of close, I'd say roughly like the whole bottom sort of bowl. I think Sam of that, 
of Parramatta was full. Um, pretty good atmosphere. Uh, but I did feel for them. It was it was tough. Like they were up against it in that sense. Like you could hear when there was a yellow card to a United player, the crowd would go off. When it's a Sydney goal, the crowd's going off. Like um, it was a pretty difficult one in that sense. Um, the occasion, I don't know if the occasion necessarily got to them. I think Sydney were just so switched on from the get-go. It felt like whatever happened, they were going to be really tough to stop. And I think getting that goal from a set piece in the fourth minute it just set the tone because it's not something that Western have done a heap of is conceding goals from set pieces. They've been hard to break down. They're really, you know, sturdy defensively. They, they, we talked about the physicality and I think to cop a set piece goal inside the first four minutes, it just is a real hammer blow to your confidence. And then um, for the second one to be, to be so similar hurts as well. Um, But they've had a great season. They deserve a lot of credit. I think Hannah Kane um, was sort of blanketed early in the game, but did pretty much everything she could to try and get them back into it. Um, there's not going to be too many positives from the day, I suppose, but they never look like they stopped trying. They worked hard. They clearly play for each other. Um, I love that Jess McDonald came over from the US to give them a bit of a rev up. Yeah, totally. And sort of surprised. There's a nice video of her surprising them as well. I thought that was really nice. I think it shows the sort of camaraderie they've already built. Um, Chloe Legasso, they played with a bit of the will she, won't she, and she probably won't, and she didn't play um, in the grand final. So that that made for some interesting stuff in the lead up. But, yeah, you, they've had a great season. I feel like they've really added a lot to the league with the way they've um, – there's so many players that had never played in this league before. I mean, Churn, the Tarantos – um, even like I think Tyler J. Vlanich was the only player in United's match day squad that had championship winning experience. And even then, like she was a role player really in those Melbourne City teams, like wasn't one of the out and out stars. So the experience was clearly in Sydney FC's favour. But yeah, I, I think they deserve a little bit of recognition for a, a top season. They were one point short of the premiership. They took it up to everyone. They beat all of the all of the top four at some point during the season. And I'm I'm pretty excited to see what they can do next year. I hope we see a, a progression in terms of the way they play and really start trying to, you know, dictate and dominate games more. Um because, you know, as we saw on the weekend that Sydney were ready to go toe to toe with them in terms of the physicality side of things. I'm excited to see how they really try and progress and and build things. Yeah, me too. And I, I really liked what Tokaso said after the game, which is that when he reflects back on this season, the thing that they wanted to get out of it most was to set the tone for the future. They were hyper aware of the fact that as an inaugural team, as a brand new women's team, this first season, you need to lay down some kind of, I don't know, some kind of cultural, like spiritual almost foundation for what you are going to be about as a club. You want to be able to show who you are so that you can inspire the next generation of players who want to, by virtue of watching you, represent you. They want to be part of that thing that you show them. And over this season, yeah, they, as they themselves concede, they haven't played the best football. They haven't played the prettiest football. 
but they've played the kind of football that shows who they are. They've played football that's filled with passion and fight and mongrel. And for a lot of people, that's really inspiring. And look how far it got them. They got them to the grand final, you know. And in the context, as you mentioned there, Harrow, that they had such little experience at this level. They had players who'd never even played A-League women's before. The fact that they were able to bring all of this together and to play with that kind of spirit to them and to get all the way here is amazing. They have absolutely accomplished what I think was their goal, that setting of the tone, that setting of that inspirational culture. People know who they are now and that's exactly what you want to happen because when we look at past expansion teams, their first seasons have sort of fallen flat and they've kind of just drifted off into nothingness. You think about the Wanderers, you think about Wellington. They haven't really sort of done the same thing as what Western have done. They haven't set the same kind of tone in that that way. So I think the challenge for them now is how can they make their football more sophisticated? How can they build on this sort of foundation of spirit that they've got but in a way that's going to be sustainable because you can fight and 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 crash and bash as much as you want to, but at some point you do have to actually play some good football in order to be uh, title winners. So I think that's probably their next thing. And can, like as we've seen in the past, there are teams not just in club competitions but also national teams who learn after falling short of a certain competition milestone getting to a semi-final getting to a grand final and losing is a huge learning opportunity now the players know exactly what it takes because they were there on the other side the receiving end of an absolute belting by Sydney FC they know that that's what they have to be if they want to be the best club in the country so I'm really excited to see what happens and I'm particularly excited because of the way in which the the team itself is is structured behind the scenes, the relationship with Calder United, how it's one of the clearest pathways from the grassroots through to the professional level and the players that they've already got filtering through this system, coming up through the ranks. It's so exciting and it's so validating of, I think, the faith that a lot of people in women's football in Australia have had for a really long time, that we do have the talent. We have this incredibly deep pool of players who are kicking around in the MPL who just need one or two seasons at top flight level in a professional environment with professional coaches with access to all of these resources in order to actually fulfill the potential that they know that they have and that a lot of people around them know that they have. So I think this this grand final was really representative of that sort of bigger, um, that bigger message, that bigger meaning that we do have this amazing community of players and when they're given an opportunity to shine, when they are surrounded by people who believe in them and who invest in them, we see what they can do. We see what they can be, you know. And that's, I think, the the biggest, as I think Torcaso himself said, like if he's able to come off the back of this grand final loss, having inspired even just one little girl to want to pull on a Western United jersey at some point in her life, then they've done their job. Hopefully not that really ugly version of their jersey. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just had to get a dick in there. But yes, congrats to the girls of the West for their first season because what an impressive, impressive feat that they've achieved there. Um, I did have a quick question for you both. Um, Madison Haley, 
player of the match. What next for her, do you reckon? Because I wonder what this move to Sydney, what, what that sort of, what the purpose of it was for her. It seems like she hadn't quite cracked the the top level in the US after, you know, having a very successful college career. So does a performance like this bolster her into getting into, say, the NWSL? I'm not too sure what the process would be even. Like, I don't think she'd be able to go into the draft at this point in time. But, like, yeah, this is obviously a, a performance that would get attention. Um both in here and then back in the US. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Did you guys have any thoughts on? Yeah, I think it mass- I think it massively opens doors for her, and that's what you want. Often, I think when you bring foreigners into the league, you want players who are ambitious, who want to prove a point. Um, and I think it's something that the the women's leagues traditionally done maybe better than the men's in that sense, like hungry. Uh, younger players who want to prove themselves, who want to play really well, um, who are good enough that they deserve to be in there. They're not just taking a spot that could be easily filled by an Australian because, like, you don't want to have foreigners that are sort of just role players, like at average level. You want them to be really good players. You want them to justify what they've done. And she was great because she said that I asked her about, like, did you feel like as a um, as an import player that you had to live up to the big games. Like you had to be a big game player. And she was like, oh yeah, well I won this at Stanford and that at Stanford. So I came in and I wanted to, you know, if you've got one hand on the trophy, you got to go and win it. And I've wrapped that I basically swept the league in my first season. So she's clearly a winner, um, which I love. Um, and Sydney missed her at times during the season. And it, she said as much as really frustrating when she ended up dealing, dealing with an injury that proved to be a bit more long-term than she was expecting. I think Sydney does have a lot of credit for the way they managed her and Maddie clearly does as well um, because she popped up when they needed her against victory and she was exceptional in the grand final. Um, And those sorts of performances have to put your name up in lights. Um, I know she will go back to the US in the next few days, like just to go home, but it surely opens doors. I think it depends what she wants to do from, I know she, I think it was Chicago that drafted her and she didn't end up reporting. Like maybe I'm not, I'm not sure of the details there in the past, but you'd have to think if you're a, a club in the NWSL or even elsewhere overseas looking for a, a striker, she'd have to be one that you consider because she's come from being a player that really didn't have a huge CV in terms of um, professional league experience because she's played in the college system, obviously to a player who really stood out um, in the biggest game in a, a, a pretty reasonable league in, in terms of the dub, um, I would say it has to open some doors. She might love- might come back. She might come back next season. I think it's a maybe. She sort of was like, oh, I'd love to come back, but I think there's, I'd love to come they back. They always say that, yeah. And there's the reality, which is probably um, she'll take her next steps, right? You win everything in your first season. You probably, unless you're, like a goal machine, like if you're a, a Tash Dowie or in the men's year, like a Jamie McLaren, we're like, I want to score goals and win the golden boot and win the league and win, <laughs> win all the trophies. Otherwise, you know, it makes sense to probably take the next step in her career. And I actually thought, and she said as much, that she was the difference because she was one of those players who wasn't scarred by all the history of what this Sydney FC group had been through. She mm. just wanted to go out there and win. I think she said she was writing a new chapter for herself. She didn't have any of that burdening her. And yeah, she was fantastic. I think this gives her heaps of opportunities. Yeah, totally. And I loved as well what Courtney Vine and Princess Sabini said after the game where they described Madison Haley as cheat code. 
Like even in training, uh, the example that Courtney Fine gave was if they played on like a five on five game at training and one of the teams had Madison Haley, like she would do something that all of them would just stop and be like, what? Like, how did you just do that? Like, she's just like, she's from a video game. It's crazy. But yeah, she she was amazing in this game. Um, She was the, I mean, not only did she score two of the four goals, but she was so crucial in the build-up to the others as well. Her movement off the ball, the way that she draws defenders to her to create space for other people, her physicality was just amazing. And I know that's a little bit of a stereotype, but she she was just it was like she had the just the the body of two players sometimes. She was she was so physical in the air. She was very rarely um bodied off the ball when she when she had it at her feet. Yeah, she was just she was just fantastic. And like I, I think that this is probably like for a lot of overseas players, I feel like this is the point of the A-League women's now. And Hilary Beale actually said the the West United goalkeeper said very, very similar thing after the game. She said that she came down here with a point to prove. Um, she had not been getting very many minutes in the NWSL. She was starting to lack confidence. Um, and she needed to prove not only to other people, but mostly to herself that she was capable of doing something. And when I asked her whether she felt that she accomplished it, she said, yes, you know, she's been, I think one of the best goalkeepers in this league. And I wouldn't be surprised if she wins goalkeeper of the year at the end of season awards as well, because she was amazing. And she made some extraordinary saves in this grand final as well. She really kept her side in it for a, for a bit there. Um, And she, yeah. So like for, I think particularly for Americans because of the, sort of ebbs and flows of our relationship with that competition. I feel like now we we are this platform for, and we sort of have been in the past as well, I suppose. We, we're this platform for young, emerging, peripheral American players to sort of come down here, get some ongoing, continuous, serious minutes, and to sort of show themselves that they are capable of this and providing a springboard for them to go elsewhere. And we've seen it happen in the past with players who've gone on to represent the U.S. women's national team. Like we're a nice little greenhouse down here. We provide some really good opportunities for these players. And I think that's a really nice way to sort of build our reputation abroad as well. Like we're never going to be a, a European league. We're never going to be an NWSL. We just don't have the money. We don't have the market. We don't have the population. We don't have any of that sort of stuff. But we do have a, have a place. I think in the larger ecosystem of women's club football. And I think this is, this season was a really good illustration of that. We are the league that develops. We're the league that provides this springboard, this shop window for emerging talent, not just from within, but also from without as well from overseas players who come down to us for a couple of months a year and and want to test the waters and see what they're capable of doing. And that's great. You know, I think if we can embrace that and we can really lean into it and market ourselves in that kind of way, I think that that's important um, rather than perhaps trying to stretch for something that we're never really going to reach. Um, but yeah, I think that the the imports, we've sort of had this conversation every season. I think the imports that particularly the top four had this season were really, really, really good. I can't really think of a, of a of an import who joined one of Sydney, Western, Victory or City who were sort of a letdown. I mean, there are a couple who kind of slipped off the radar in, in the lower tier clubs, but of, of all those, I think they were all pretty well deserving of their spot in terms of being the international 
player. Um, I yeah, and that's that's great. And I also love that Auntie Yurich didn't necessarily um, lean too heavily into that because he had such faith in his own players from Australia that he didn't feel there was a need to bring in anyone overseas. But as you mentioned before, Harry, he's going to do it couple, next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He might have he to he might have dip to, into right? the market. Yeah, dip into the market a little bit more to to replace the talent who he's probably going to lose, but that's just the ebbs and flows. And that's sort of how it happens. And that's what he had to do when he first joined in 2017 as well, um, before he sort of started off this cycle that we're now seeing the the end of. Um, yeah. So it's just sort of like, it's, it's a nice kind of um, conclusion, I think, to this season, the way that all this unfolded. I'm very tired. I don't know about all of you, but I'm, I'm very tired. This has been a long season. Um, it's been a really rewarding season. It's been, like when you look back on it, one of the most chaotic and most interesting and most competitive seasons I think we've had in a long time. Um, And it's been such a privilege to watch these teams and these players emerging and starting to write their own stories because there was a moment there where after we lost all the Matildas, we were kind of like, what are we? Oh my God, what are we going to do? It sort of felt like this big crisis. But as women's football in Australia has always done, it has found a way to persist. And now we're seeing the next generation emerging and that's really cool. Agreed. It's super exciting. I do have a quick question for you, Angela, our fantastic host today. You were watching from home. Um, Obviously this game was not in Melbourne. It was in Sydney due to the decision. Um, How did it sit with you, someone who was at home? How did you feel about it? Like watching it actually, because obviously everyone has strong opinions at the time. Um, and I still feel for, as I said earlier, I still feel for Western that they weren't able to do that. Um, Emma Robers was particularly strong on that, um, saying, you know, like as a new club, they felt like this would have been great in terms of building their fan base, building momentum, changing things. Uh, it was fantastic to see um, on Sunday, I will say, pockets of junior football clubs. Um, I like, I do yeah. like that people, because it is easy to say, and I reckon there's a fair percentage of tickets that were given away, but redeeming them is another thing as well so it's, it's good to see that there was a take up but as a few people have pointed out and I think it's been an interesting conversation that could have been junior clubs in Melbourne right had Western won um, because you know the grand finals as much as we talk about the leading and the build-up the winning team does have two weeks to get their shit together in terms of a, a grand final so Angela just because you were sitting at home watching it you weren't in Sydney how did it sit with you from afar I don't know. I could get myself in trouble. I don't know. I'm really, like, I admire Sydney FC's, like, The Cove. I really admire what they do and I really appreciate how they show up for their women's team and the work of people like Friend of the Pod Michelle, um, their efforts to make sure that that's a thing and that it's sustainable and um, done in a in a sensitive way. And so, like, all, all love to them and it seemed like the atmosphere at the game was really fantastic and I think that that is really important but the thing that kind of frustrates me is it's it really felt like in the lead up to this at the APL they needed to prove that this was they made it a success and I'm like thank you great but I'm gonna like you need to sustain that energy all the time, not just when you have a point to prove that you've made a correct business decision around something that was criticised. And so from the, the the atmosphere that really translated on the broadcast, um, it was a really good game to watch in terms of, I guess, because 
slow motion replays of the clangs that all the players got into. That was helpful. Um, and in terms of like the 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 job done in terms of the broadcast as well, I think like appreciative that it was on free to air. Um, but again, um, it is that kind of like catch 22 of like, I'm grateful, but also that needs to be the standard. Um, and we've gone in depth in that, into that in, um, previous pods in this final series about accessibility of the women's game. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it is a really good example of like built, like if you put the energy and the time into promoting the women's game, it can be a spectacle. It can be a fantastic occasion, but yeah, the selectiveness of when that happens is just, it seems a bit frustrating. And I hope that um, this is something that is clocked onto and um, brought into the next season by not just the APL, but like by clubs themselves, they have the opportunity to leverage themselves in this space as well and get people down to games. Um, and I think also for Western United in their first season, they've done a really fantastic job of that. Um, their home ground games have been really fun, um, granted very small kind of ground out at Caroline Springs, but the atmosphere has always been good at those. They've um, connected with local clubs to make that work. Um, and I think what they've done off the pitch as well has been really admirable. So, Yeah. Um, am disappointed. Like, I don't think, uh, I, I don't know if Western would have won if it had been a home grand final. I just think Sydney are too good, but, um, it's a shame that they didn't get the opportunity to have that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, that actually answers it and more. The APL also did dodge a massive bullet courtesy of Maddie Haler that victory didn't scrap their way into that grand final because. I feel like that 9,500-odd would have been a lot less with two Melbourne clubs in it. I still think a lot of grassroots would have turned out, but when you've got a hometown team in it, it, it certainly helps. So it's a difficult one because as you, I think you made the point perfectly, Andrews. They've got a good crowd there, and I recognise that. And I know having worked in sport that giving away free tickets is one thing, getting people to actually use them is another thing. Free tickets is usually like a real dud um, in terms of execution. Um, so... I was wrapped with the the atmosphere, the numbers of people there, but yeah, it's it's st- I'm still uncomfortable with the situation. I know we've still got two more years of it to come, so I'm probably not going to be able to change it. But yeah, I, I think you summed it up perfectly there. I like I like the idea that it's show you know you've shown you can get crowds in and you know promote the game and push that sort of thing. Can you sustain that? Can you make that happen? Normally, it's the real like you know, but can you do it on a cold, rainy Tuesday night? Um, yeah, in Casey like the fields. <laughs> oh, it's the it's the cheat code analogy. I don't know. It comes to mind. It's like it's right there, mother load. Just fucking smack it in all the time. <laughs> don't don't hold back. Anyway, sorry, Sam. You had something that. You wanted yeah, to no, add. no. I think it's the. I haven't really been talking very much about the whole um, grand final sale to destination New South Wales thing because I'm sort of at a point now where I'm like it's done like we're not going to be able to change it no amount of boycotting or articles or talking about it is going to change what's happened so let's just move on to the next thing which is how can we actually make this crappy situation as good as it can possibly be and I think yesterday's game was a really good example of what it can look like 
you know, there was 9,500 people at, at that game. And if the ultimate long-term goal is to try and get more people involved in this sport, is to try and get more people into stadiums, buying tickets, turning on the television to watch the A-League women's, then I think this potentially, if this is able to be replicated, it's it's a tick in the box and the pro column for why this kind of initiative can work. And while I totally see the argument for, well, you know, why we're, we're denying, you know, 9,500 people in Melbourne the opportunity to go along to this game, I totally see that. But like, fans are fans, you know, I don't really think we need to be like, where where are they necessarily? Um, and who knows, maybe the next set of grand finals will be sold to visit Victoria. Who knows what's going to happen? But I I think the... That's the netball state. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that there are a couple of caveats to the crowd number that we saw yesterday. One is that uh, the weather was beautiful, um, which it, it, it threatened to not be uh, because the weather in Sydney on Saturday was really, really bad. Um, and the other is that there were a lot of grassroots women's football competitions that were washed out on Sunday afternoon. And in New South Wales, most women and girls play on a Sunday, including me. So I had to miss my game in order to come to, to this, to this uh, grand final. So by virtue of that, like the, the scheduling of that was a little bit weird to me. Why would you put a, a women's grand final on at the same time when, who you would assume would be your major target market, which is women and girls who play the game already are off playing their own games. Like that overlap seems strange to me. Maybe it was a broadcast decision. I don't know. Hopefully it's going to be something that next season they can think a little bit more strategically about. And my, my gut feeling is that because they, the APL want to have the two grand finals on the same weekend to make it sort of a whole big shared event with like a lots of activities and, events and and um, activations and stuff in the week leading up to it, this sort of festival football thing, it would make sense to me to have the women's grand final on a Saturday and then the men's grand final on the Sunday so that the two local markets of players are able to attend their respective competition sort of grand, I don't know. But anyway, we'll see how that sort of, um, how that eventuates. But the like the atmosphere at the stadium was amazing. And there were there were fans, I mean, largely Sydney-based fans, but you know, they were fans of football. Like, yeah, there were people in lots of Sydney FC shirts, but a lot of them were neutral as well. And there were lots of kids, there were lots of families, there were lots of people in Western United shirts as well. There was a whole end that had been sort of um uh seg- segmented for the Western United for the West, the the core who traveled up from um from Melbourne for the game. And they had flags and they had banners and T-shirts and, you know, like it, it looked great. It, pretty, it sounded great. pretty sparse great. though, the Western United end. Like there well, were yeah, a lot but, of, yeah, of course. T-shirts just on empty seats. But it still looked good. This is the thing. Like it wasn't just empty seats. Like it was, it, they at least tried to put something there to make it seem like there was effort, you know. And they the fact that they got over 3,000 more people to this game than what they did to the last record grand final is like pretty great. And the fact that it happened in this particular stadium as well, 
Like this is a football stadium. I remember being at Jubilee Oval for the last one and the atmosphere was garbage because it's just not shaped in a good way for football. The sound just completely leaks out of the ground. It's it's really wide and low and it just doesn't really feel like that the kind of vibe that you get from a Western Sydney stadium where it's you know you're on top of the action and everything echoes within it and it just it feels good. Um so yeah, so I'm like there are pros and there are cons, and I think it's a different conversation in the women's than it is in the men's. Um, I think the men's has a very different dynamic and there's much more politics involved in that. But for me, like, ultimately, surely our long-term goal should just be to trying to get more people to come to games. And if that grand final, if half of the people who went to that grand final were neutral football fans who'd never been to a dub game before, they watched that game and they said, oh, that seems pretty good. I might go next season. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that doesn't that justify in part the whole exercise? I don't know. Mm, I would say you could do that wherever, though. To return to Harry's point about yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I it will be interesting moving forward to see what this looks like in the future, um, because yeah, I I mean I'm I'm grateful I got to sidestep the the question of victory I mean victory's answered that for me they're like babes we're not going so you're not going it's fine but um (laughs) yeah on the note of the scheduling that is a really pertinent point and I would just like to get a little petty dig in that a particular football federation has scheduled all of their NPLW final round games that all have to be simultaneous kickoff on the same day as the final of the World Cup this year and I'm just like Oh my god. Is no one in your organization like aware of this stuff? What on earth? And I don't know. That's something that still could possibly be changed. I feel like it is that whole thing of like the people who would be supporting these teams, most likely, like a lot of them would want to be at the final or engaging with that. Anyway. Yeah. I'm sure someone will be like, well, that's at 3 p.m. and the finals at 8 p.m. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just, let me have my fun. <laughs> anyway, so we, as always, have been like, let's just do a quick one. And now we're hitting close to an hour. So <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We are crawling over the finish line of this A-League Women's season, but we will most likely do a quick episode debriefing our predictions for the year. So we did a quick video at the start of the year doing things like top four champions, that kind of thing. Um, Very few of us was right. So that'll be fun to get into. But for the time being, Sydney fans, BASC, enjoy. You deserve it. Western fans, I don't know, recharge, recover. You'll be back. Um, And, yeah, we'll we'll chat to you all soon. See you. I never do it justice. I'm sorry, Marissa. (laughs) 